how your triggers and your knee-jerk reactions boil down to confronting your inner child and what that even means. This is Don't Rush Me. Hey, I'm Maria Spear Alice, and I hate rushing. It never yields good things to rush, whether it's rushing to finish a client project or rushing to put on eyeliner. But when we have 10,000 things on our minds at any given moment, it's hard not to fall into that habit. I've had a lot of very specific technical training in my life, hello music school and law school, but none of that training prepared me for being a business owner, a lawyer, a wife, a mom, or really just a functional adult woman with a huge to-do list. I'm no guru, but I created Don't Rush Me as a way to talk more about the slow, simple tools you can start using today to make your life and business life a little easier. So whether you're a healer, a coach, or a business owner, a professional craving that slowdown, come with me as we learn about the small, easy things that can make a huge difference in your mind, body, or business. Let me paint a picture for you. So you've invited the family over for Sunday dinner, and you spent the entire day cooking. You wanted to clean the house to make sure it was sparkly clean. You decorated the table so that it was beautiful. You got flowers from your garden or you foraged for foliage and you just wanted to make it a beautiful evening. And at the end of that evening, you just kind of felt some ick. Why didn't everybody eat this dish? Why didn't anyone comment on how clean the house is? Why didn't anyone notice the foliage that I had put on the table? Those things are attachments to outcomes. And it's exploring those attachments that can really help you to identify your triggers and your knee-jerk reactions so that you can have a little bit more ease in your life and in your relationships. And that's where my guest today comes in, Alyssa Zander. Alyssa is a codependency and relationship coach that empowers women in moving past pain, grief, and feelings of not enough and into their joy and inner peace. Her mission is to heal the mother wound, which means healing from isolation, judgment, shame, overgiving, self-sacrificing, and comparison. Her work leads you through an initiation that invites you into oneness by tending to unresolved trauma through shadow work, somatic healing, and inner child healing. But first, before we get into my conversation with Alyssa, here is your holistic somatic history lesson on the rose. Everyone's familiar with the beauty of the rose. And in ancient Greece, the rose was closely associated with the goddess Aphrodite, who is of course the goddess of love. It's the state flower of five US states, Georgia, Iowa, North Dakota, Oklahoma, New York, and the District of Columbia. Medicinally, according to Mother Earth Living, this is not medical advice, this is just educational, but rose petals are said to be mildly sedative, antiseptic, anti-inflammatory, and anti-parasitic. The antiseptic nature of rose petals supposedly makes them a wonderful topical treatment for wounds, bruises, rashes, and incisions. They're also said to be mild laxatives and great for lowering cholesterol. According to traditional Chinese medicine and Unani, which is a Greek Arabic medicine, It's a good supportive tonic for the heart and is said to have a powerful effect on the spiritual state of the heart. 
Taken internally, again, allegedly their anti-inflammatory properties make them a wonderful treatment for sore throats or ulcers. They can stimulate the liver and increase appetite and circulation. Per symbolsage.com, the rose also has the power to lower your body temperature and help bring down a fever. Hmm. Dried rose petals and rose water are traditionally used in Middle Eastern cuisine. Hope you enjoyed that history lesson on the rose. Now here's my conversation with Alyssa Zander. Hi, Alyssa. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you and so interested in, I've been just taking in your content and so interested in having this conversation, but I would love for you to tell the listeners, you know, who you serve, but also how you got into doing the type of work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really this like wild series of events that it's like kind of hard to pinpoint, like, how did I get here? When I like look back to my life over the last couple of years, it feels kind of random, but also not. So um, I'm a codependency and relationship coach and I mostly serve women. My sole mission is to heal the mother wound. And so I do that through a myriad of different passion projects. I do that through coaching, through a group membership program. I just published my first book. And then I also have my own podcast as well. So mostly just really leaning into being of service and reaching the masses with this work around being able to just relate to others, to ourselves in a way that is sovereign and authentic and in our power. Um, I, I kind of joke that, you know, the work that I did before this was I was actually a Montessori teacher. So, oh my goodness, I, both of my kids are in Montessori. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So, yeah, so that was like my so, first, yeah, all love. about sovereignty and independence. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, I kind of joke that like I spent so many years, you know, being a guide and serving the children that now I'm just serving the inner child of of women, of adults mm. whose inner child didn't get that love, that protection, that nurturance that they needed and showing them how to be that for themselves. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I love that. I did not expect this conversation to take this turn, but I'm so fascinated. <laughs> By the relationship between, you know, Montessori, which for who, are, for those who are listening that aren't familiar, it's all about fostering independence in the child mm -hmm. and kind of being child-led in terms of their education. Yeah. Um, and I've always kind of wondered, you know, well, not wondered, I know that so many of us as adults could learn so much from mm -hmm. the, the whole method and, and kind of Maria Montessori's world and teachings and all of that. Uh, so I love that you kind of brought that into helping women to, to, to learn those lessons. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, when the pandemic happened, parents, I wasn't with their children anymore, right? Parents were with their children. I would say that was when the big shift happened. My, my trainer, even when I did my master's program, she was like, you need to work with adults. Like you, the adults need you. And I remember saying to her very like clearly and firmly, like, I will never, <laughs> I will never, like, I only want to work with the children. Um, but it was through my own work with the children too, that like, they're fine. The children are great. The children are amazing. They are actually our teachers. 
Um, you know, I'm just there to create a safe space for them. It was realizing, you know, we adults have so much work that we need to do. Like they're showing us our unhealed parts. And so, you know, getting, I don't know how many text messages, emails, phone calls from parents of children who were once in my class being like, how did you do this? My child is this, my child is that it's like unmanageable. And just really being like, this is actually your opportunity to heal these parts of you. And so I started just like kind of coaching them through it, which has led me to now coaching everyone. (laughs) Yes. I, this is a recent observation I've had, but you know, you have that family member who just like can't take when the kids are loud. And I have two boys who not, it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily a gender thing, but they are big and loud and active and, um, and you know, there are certain family members who just can't handle, they can't handle the volume. They can't handle that. These kids are all over the place and that they might not be perfect sitting still at a restaurant or whatever. And it's like, there's something inside you Mm -hmm. that needs some love because that's coming out here. It's not that the kids are doing this. It's maybe that you didn't get to do this or, or something. Exactly. That's truly it. You know, it took me like having this like light bulb moment of, wow, when children are laughing and playing and being silly, it triggers me. Like I want them to be quieter. And I was (laughs) like, why is it that I want joy to be quieted down? Well, I didn't get to play when I was a child. You know, I had to be responsible for my siblings. Like I was parentified as a child because I had really young parents, right? Like there's all these things. So it's like, Joy, what is that? Turn it off. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, tone and it, it was okay. Yeah, tone it down. But it's, you know, not because what they're doing is wrong. It's because that the inner child within me thinks that that's bad, right? Thinks that being too loud has this like ramification or this consequence, right? Like your family members who get activated when your children are loud likely had consequences for being loud. So for their inner child, they're trying to protect your children. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what they think they're doing. They're protecting them from being judged, hurt, harmed, embarrassed, whatever, you know, the event was for them. That's why inner child work is so important. That's what I do with like all the women that I work with. We're doing shadow work and inner child work to figure out what is the core of that? What is the root of that for you? Because it's different for every person. Yes. And, and, and that's so great. I was going to ask that question. So, you know, someone comes to you and they're ready for, for whatever reason. And maybe you can say, you know, is there a common like switch that someone Mm -hmm. has or a light bulb that goes off where they say, okay, I need help. Um, yeah. have you found any commonalities there? There's definitely a commonality and it usually is in regards to their partnership or their relationship. So they're either at odds with their partner, they're fighting with their partner, they're ready to leave their partner. Um, it usually has something to do <clears throat> as I lose my voice. <laughs> it usually has something to do with that. Like they're at this breaking point and they can't see past it. They're ready to throw it all away. Mm, Okay. And so they come to you and how do you start to, to get into it? Do you start Mm -hmm. with the shadow and, and, and maybe you can tell people, you know, what that really means or entails. 
Yeah. So shadow work is around meeting parts of our psyche that we've repressed. Um, it's, it's bringing them forth to the table. So a lot of the work that I do is, you know, listening and reflecting. So a huge part of my work, and that's why, you know, it is kind of jarring and it's important to have community because it can be really heavy. You know, I'm pointing out how we are also active participants in the dynamic, right? Like it takes two people to take responsibility. And a lot of times we're in codependency, there's this grasping for, well, I'm the victim. I do everything. I, you know, I'm the self-sacrificer. I'm the overgiver. You know, it's wrapped in this really pretty package, right? Like, oh, I do all the things. I'm the only one that does the dishes. I'm the only one that takes the kids to school. I'm the only one that grocery shops. But we also have to take responsibility for where we're not asking for help, where we're not enforcing our boundaries, where we're overgiving and becoming resentful. So a lot of it is getting to the root of the shadow work would be, you know, what is the fear behind asking for what you need? What is the fear behind enforcing your boundary? Because there's a reason why you're not doing that. So it's uncovering, figuring out what that is. And then from there, creating tools for how you're going to begin to I guess, interact and converse and resolve conflict with your partner in a way that is sovereign for you and them. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times when they come, you know, come into the spaces, it's, you know, their partner is the one with all of the problems and they're just the victim, right? They're just like the woe is me, the, you know, yeah. one who's taking on all the burden. Yes. Yes. And that becomes kind of a badge Mm-hmm. Oh, you said it perfect. That's what it, that's <laughs> what it ends up being. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, my family is um, Greek, Greek American. And so, but a couple generations back, everyone was over there and it's such a, it's such a thing. I feel like in other Mediterranean cultures too, like women are there to feed and serve and that's love, right? The more you serve, the more you show that you love somebody. And so, um, in some ways it's beautiful. And in some ways mm -hmm. it can be very, you know, difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It all comes down to like, is this transactional or not? Right. Like there are women who are so full and filled with themselves and so sovereign that when they're giving, like it is from their overflow, they're giving and they don't care if you eat the food. They don't care if you say thank you. They don't care, you know, if you walk away, like they're just giving because it feels good for them. It's from their overflow. That's what I try to lead women into uncovering for themselves mm. is getting to that point. It's when you put all the food on the table and everyone walks away and you're like, well, then you're, then you're hurt. Then you're offended. Yes. Well, then it was transactional. You're making that act mean something about you. That's the codependency. Interesting. Yeah. That makes mm. sense. So how, I mean, I'm sure it, it takes a lot of, of work of self-awareness. How do you build, how does one build that self-awareness to kind of start recognizing, oops, like that was, I was in that transactional moment. Mm -hmm. For me, I lean on both like mental indicators or, or stories like stories as indicators and like a physical indicator. So a lot of the work I do is somatic entailing somatic, like feeling what it feels like when I'm out of alignment. 
And so some thoughts that are my indicators are like, whenever I feel resentment, key indicator that can be for Mm. like anyone if you're feeling resentful or if you're feeling like woe is me or like why did I do that no one cared like that is a great place for you to get curious curiosity is the thing that's going to carry you through the self-awareness piece like oh interesting instead of being you know instead of fixating on what happened being curious about where your attachments might have been to the thing that you were doing Um, so yeah, resentment's always my key indicator. If I feel like I have to defend myself, that's another key indicator Mm -hmm. that I feel like, you know, I need to go to war to like prove myself. That means I have probably an attachment to how somebody perceives me. Um, and then somatically for me, like when I'm activated or triggered, like my ears get really hot. Like I lose mm-hmm. feeling in my fingertips. I get shallow breath. And this has been like through, you know, noticing a, a noticing practice of how does it feel in my body when I'm activated? How does it feel in my body when, you know, I don't get what I want or when, you know, I have an attachment to something or when a need is overridden? Like, how does that feel in my body? So that when it happens, now I know when my ears, you know, get hot. I need to pause because like my body is physically telling me, stop, take a moment. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And taking that pause, I know takes practice. Oh my gosh. You won't get it right every time. Like (laughs) you won't get it right every time, but if you get it right one time out of 10, that's one time more than you did before. And then it becomes two times. And you know what? Sometimes you'll be in the middle of that argument in that middle of the, of a fight, like, I I did a podcast episode once, um, my partner and I were traveling, we're in an airport, you know, having lunch in the middle of the airport. And I'm sitting here having this like argument with him and defending myself. And, you know, 30 minutes in, I'm like, I need to walk away from this. So it's like giving yourself grace that I don't know why my voice keeps going away, but (laughs) giving yourself, giving yourself grace when those moments come up, um, even if it is 30 minutes in, or if it's three seconds in, like, you know, when you you realize when you realize, and a lot of times it's after the fact, and that doesn't mean that it's too late to have a repair. Yep. Yep. Oh, wow. That's Um, great for children too. That's great for children too. It's never too late for a repair. It doesn't matter if it's tomorrow. Repairs are where healing takes place for everyone. And, and something that I feel like is a generational thing, but like for a parent to apologize to a child, Mm -hmm. like as much as I hate it, you know, yelling, yelling is like almost a knee jerk reaction when Mm -hmm. someone's jumping on the couch or they're going to fall or something, you know, something is a quick trigger and, but I don't want to be a yeller. And so apologizing to your child, I feel like a generation ago was like a, you know, you Mm -hmm. don't want to lose face right to your child and be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and admit that you were wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, so that type of repair, I feel like it's coming, it's coming around, but that type of repair is I think a valuable one. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's that not wanting to be wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's such a core wound for so many of us. I have to be right. That's why we go into defending ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. If someone if someone has a different perspective or a different um, experience, 
you know, we go into wanting to make their experience wrong and ours right so that we can protect ourselves. It's just a protection, right? It's yeah. self-preservation. And what I think we're moving into and what I notice for myself more and more as I do this work personally is that I can hold two truths at the same time, you know, yes. and that yes. when I'm dysregulated, that's much harder to do. But when I'm regulated, you know, when I notice my ears are on fire, when I notice that I want to go to defending myself and I take that pause, I can hold both truths. I can hold the truth that is opposing mine and not make theirs right and mine wrong or vice versa. Yes. Doesn't have to be either or. Yeah. Really quickly, I wanted to tell you about one of the ways that I've worked on to add a little more ease into your day-to-day in terms of your business day-to-day and your operations, because I know you've spent so much time developing your expertise, your content, your brand, and you're not about to risk it all. And I don't want you worrying about things like, what if my client wants to cancel halfway through my program? What if one of my students rips off my course content? What if my VA is reckless with my passwords? And that's why I created the Legal Apothecary Library, which is a contract template library specifically for soul-driven coaches and healers. So if you're interested in getting all of the contracts you need to protect and start a business like that, head to the link in the show notes and let me know if you have any questions. You said something that made me spark a question. You said core wounds. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what the core wounds are or, or what are they? I can tell you what core wounds I have <laughs> and, what, and what core wounds I see um, repeated a lot yeah. with the women that I work with. You know, there's the core wound of abandonment, the core wound of rejection, the core wound of betrayal. Um, those are, those are really big ones that I personally have worked with and that I see a lot of women that I work with uncover as well. Mm. Not to say that I'm sure there's more, but like a lot of those are like the roots of why a lot of the patterns that we have exist. Interesting. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk about nature, um, and, and your book, because, um, I know that your book is, is about, you know, embracing nature in a way. So can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that and, and nature as a, as a healer, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the book is, you know, a book of poetry. It's a book of poetry, you know, that I wrote personally in some of my deepest, darkest moments. And some of it I wrote when I was out in nature, conversing with nature, being, um, in oneness with nature, whether that was sitting under a tree or whether that was like lying by the river, I realized that a lot of the healing that I got to move through specifically around the mother wound and codependency came from allowing mother earth to be that mother for me, to reconcile that mother wound within myself, not through my physical mother that brought me here earth side. Cause I think we can get really hung up on that, right? Like I want to reconcile these wounds with my mother who's here. But for me, what I've learned in my journey is that healing the mother wound is reconciling and healing that mother archety- archetype within ourselves through mother earth. So 
like actually yesterday was a beautiful like example um, of the healing that can take place when we allow ourselves to commune with nature. You know, I was really struggling yesterday, you know, mentally and emotionally. And I went for a walk and sat under a tree. And it's like, if you really tune in and quiet your mind and ask Mother Earth, you know, I'm here, I'm listening. What do I need to hear right now? You'll feel something, you'll hear something, or you'll see something, whatever your, you know, special way of communicating with nature is, it will come forth. And maybe it's quiet at first. Maybe you don't hear it. Maybe the noise in your head is too loud at first and that's okay. But it's that continued um, practice of knowing that it's there, seeing that it's beneath your feet, right? Mm -hmm. Seeing it, that it surrounds you in the air that you breathe, the sun on your face. And that sounds like a, a an easy first step that someone can mm-hmm. take, you know, when they're feeling maybe overwhelmed by these, maybe they're struggling with codependency or, or some core wound or something. Everyone can go outside or find a tree or, 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 or do something with a patch of grass, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, and kind of sit and, and, and listen. Exactly. Um, is there, is there another, you know, let's say someone is has reservations about, about diving into this work, but they really know that they need to, is there another kind of first step that you recommend in, in getting into this world? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another first step would just be to bring curiosity to your life. And like journaling was huge for me. Like stream of conscious writing was super, super helpful for me. But some women that I work with, you know, it's not through writing, it's through drawing or it's through art, like finding what your medium is. And if you don't know what your medium is yet, because I remember I was the person that was like, I'm not creative. That was my, that was my whole MO. (laughs) I'm not creative. I'm not a creative person. Um, And so if you feel that way, like, lean into that, like lean into like that that's coming up for you and see where that might live in your body. But my answer, well, I just came up with my answer actually. It's (laughs) somatic work, Mm. like feeling where whatever is coming up for you lives in your body. Yeah. So yeah. And it's, it's free. It's accessible to you. It's same with like going out in nature. You can do it at any point in time. Like if I'm really, really worked up and I'm stuck and I realize it, you know, maybe it's a day later or maybe it's an hour later. Um, I'll just ask myself, where does this live in my body? Like, where does this contraction, where does this fear, where does this story or belief live in my body? Yep. And then what does it need? How will it feel when it gets that need met? And then that's your action step because it will tell you what it needs. Maybe it needs peace. Maybe it needs to lie down. Maybe it needs rest. Maybe it needs to play. Interesting. Those are really good questions too, to reflect on. Mm -hmm. Really good. Well, I know that you have a podcast. Tell us what's the name of your podcast again? Yeah, it's called Codependency Alchemy, the podcast. Very good. And, and tell us how someone, if they're ready to dive into this work, where can they find you and, and how can they get started? Yeah. Um, so I live on social media. So if you find me on Instagram, like you can send me a DM, I'll chat you up. 
Um, that's a great place to start. Uh, I also have a free codependency assessment, a self-assessment that I feel like is always super helpful because I think collectively we have this idea of what codependency means and we're like, oh, it's, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone who's an addict and you're enabling and even though that can, you know, certainly play, you know, has an aspect of codependency in it, like codependency shows up in the way that we relate to our work and the way that we relate to our children, our relationships, our friendships. Um, Society has literally primed us to be codependent on material things. So, um, and what we make them mean about us. So Mm -hmm. this assessment, it's free. If you follow me on social, you can get it. It's in my link in bio. And I think it's just a really great introduction for everyone. Because when you start reading the questions, you're like, oh yeah, I do do that. Or, or I don't do that. Or I really do that. And it can kind of show you, yes, you probably have codependency and this might be how it's showing up in your relationships. Well, I'm going to find that assessment myself because (laughs) you're right. I mean, you do have these ideas of what codependency is and how it shows up, but it's, you know, those things that you don't really think of that, um, could be telling. Yeah. The way that I define it and that I think has opened the door for a lot of people is codependency is when you place your worth or your good feelings about yourself on someone or something outside of you. So If you think about it that way, you can see where there's these levels of attachment to certain identities and what you're making it mean about yourself. Um, And that's where you can start to unravel a little bit. Oh boy. I was just having a a conversation with two friends that are also business owners. And we were talking Mm -hmm. about that exactly. Just like Mm -hmm. your identity when it comes to your business Mm -hmm. and put pinning your worth on that, which is really hard. (laughs) Yep. Yep. As someone who has created codependent patterns in her business multiple times, um, (laughs) me, hello. Um, (laughs) it's important for us to have an awareness because eventually those patterns will explode your business in a way that doesn't feel good for you or the people that you serve. So having an awareness of it, that's, I think the main thing let's bring awareness to it so that we can check ourselves when we do get into those patterns Um, and then from there we're empowered, right? We're empowered because we know the the tricky ways that it's going to show up in our life and in our business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for bringing awareness to this topic. Mm -hmm. And I hope everyone goes and checks out the assessment, the codependency assessment. And thank you, Alyssa, for being here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Have a good day. What did you think of that conversation with Alyssa? I learned so much. I especially loved when she was talking about defending yourself. And if someone has a different perspective or experience, making it so that you know you don't have to be right and they don't have to be wrong. You can have space for both. And of course, giving from a place of overflow versus making something very transactional and being attached to that outcome. If you enjoyed this episode, if you learned something, share it on Instagram, tag me, tag Alyssa. If you feel like it, drop a little rating, a little review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next time.